0: This is Dan with Sports & Songs, a bonus episode. Negro League Baseball stats are going to be now combined with Major League Baseball. I'll provide an update on this, as this is a touchy subject, and it's very confusing at the same time. This was announced on December 16th in New York, with the leading article saying this, quote, Willie Mays will add some hits to his record. Monty Irvin's big league batting average should climb over 300 and Satchel Page might add nearly 150 victories to his total. Also, Josh Gibson, the greatest of all the Negro League sluggers, might just wind up with a major league record too. The statistics and records of such greats as Gibson, Page, and roughly 3,400 other players are set to join Major League Baseball's books after the MLB announced that it is reclassifying the Negro Leagues as a major league. For instance, Mays could be credited with 16 hits from his 1948 season with the Alabama Black Barons. Irvin, a teammate of Mays with the New York Giants, could see his career average climb from 293 to 304. If the numbers listed in the BaseballReference.com Reference.com from his nine Negro League seasons are accurate. And Page, who currently is credited with 28 Major League wins, should add at least 146 more to his total. While some have estimated, Gibson slugged more than 800 homers during his 16 Negro League seasons. It's unlikely that enough records exist for him to actually officially pass Barry Bonds with a career total of 7.6. 762. Depending on what Elias and Major League Baseball rule, though, Gibson could end up with another notable record. His 441 batting average in 1943 could be the best season mark ever, edging Hugh Duffy's 440 from 1894. Gibson's line came in fewer than 80 games, however, far short of the modern standard of 162. I'll go through my top 10 Negro League players of all time. Satchel Page: years played 1927 to 1947. Who's a comparable major leaguer? I don't think there's anyone that there's ever been anyone quite like Satchel Page. He was tall, six foot three, and skinny and threw hard, although his command was probably his greatest asset asset. He was also the ultimate self-promoter and legend builder. There's a little Roy Halladay in Page's easy motion and release point, plus the exquisite control. With Paige, though, you have to separate mythology from the truth, which is difficult to do. Not everyone agrees that Paige was the greatest pitcher in the Negro League's history. A 1952 poll of longtime Negro League players picked Smokey Joe Williams as the best pitcher. He threw as hard, if not harder, than Page. Bullet Joe Rogan probably had a better curveball. As Bill James pointed out, however, in the Bill James Historical Baseball Abstract, Page is always the frame of reference, similar to how every Major League Base fastball was once compared with Walter Johnson's. Page, of course, is the only Negro League legend who got to play in the major leagues, but his seasons with the Cleveland Indians shed some light on how good Page would have been in his prime. He joined the Indians in July of 1948 when he was already 42 years old and pitched primarily in relief during his two seasons with Cleveland. Among major league pitchers with at least 150 innings, he ranked fourth in ERA those two years and fifth in strikeouts per nine innings. After not pitching in the majors in 1950, he pitched three more seasons with the hapless St. Louis Browns, making the all-star team in 52 and 53, his age 45 and 46 seasons. He had a 3.28 ERA those two years and a strikeout rate that ranked 20th among all pitchers. Not bad for a guy who turned 47 during the 53 season. He even made a one-game cameo. With the Kansas City A's in 1965 when he was 59 years old. It was a publicity stunt concocted by Charlie Finley, but Page did throw three scoreless innings. If he'd been allowed to pitch in the major leagues when he was at his best, we may very well have the Satchel Page award instead of the Cy Young award. The color line lifted just in time for this 42 year old pitching legend Satchel Paige was the Negro League's best drawing card to join the Cleveland Indians in the midst of a grueling pennant race. All Paige did that season was go 6-1 with a 2.47 ERA. He even pitched two shutouts. The rubber-armed Paige, who Joe DiMaggio called the best and fastest pitcher I've ever faced, is estimated to have won as many as 600 games during his 30-year Negro League and barnstorming career. During that career, he played for many teams, including the Chattanooga Black Lookouts, the Birmingham Black Barons, the Cleveland Cubs, Pittsburgh Crawfords, Kansas City Monarchs, New York Black Yankees, Satchel Pages All-Stars, Philadelphia Stars, Cleveland Indians, St. Louis Browns, and Kansas City A's. A showman, Page once reportedly made his entire outfield sit down while he pitched to Josh Gibson with the bases loaded. He struck Gibson out on four pitches. In 1952, a 46 year old Page pitched out of the bullpen for the St. Louis Browns. He won 12 games and had 10 saves. The following season, he was among the league leaders in saves with 11. Satchel made one last major league appearance in 1965 with Kansas City, as I mentioned earlier, back in 1965, he was 59. One can only imagine the big league records Satch would have had if the owners let this baseball marvel play in his prime. Ted Williams and Robin Roberts, two Hall of Famers, said that Gibson and Page were as talented as any players they'd ever seen. Next player, John Henry Pop Lloyd. Years played 1907 to 1932. Comparable major leaguer would have been Honus Wagner. Quote, Baseball historians concur that Lloyd was one of the greatest black players ever, but Babe Ruth, in response to a question by announcer Graham McGanney, eliminated the color distinction when he stated that Lloyd was really his choice as the greatest baseball player of all time. Historian James A. Riley, author of the biographical encyclopedia of Negro League Baseball. Lloyd was often referred to as the black Honus Wagner, a slick-fielding shortstop with the speed and hitting ability from the left side. Connie Mack said you couldn't go wrong with either player. Lloyd's early years came before the Negro Leagues became organized in 1920 with the creation of the Nash Negro National League. He remained one of the league's biggest stars into his 40s. He earned the nickname Pop later in his career when he became a father figure and mentor to the younger players. He was a turn-of-the-century star hitter, slick fielder, and for some inexplicable reason, one of the lesser-known star baseball players in the history of baseball in America. Lloyd was also the greatest hitter in the dead ball era. Ironically, he was often compared to another star of the same time, Major League Baseball's Honus Wagner. Perhaps it was because they both were infielders and hit for very high averages. Lloyd hit 417 in 1910. Wagner hit 381 in 1900. After I saw him, said Wagner, I felt honored that they should name such a great ball player after me. Many baseball historians cite Honus Wagner as the greatest shortstop. Some even say the greatest player of all time. Wagner considered John Henry Lloyd his equal. John Henry was er, was in his early 30s when the Negro Leagues were formed. He spent his early career playing for the Independent Black and Cuban teams. Yet he played in the Negro Leagues for a dozen years while compiling a career batting average of 3.44. His all-time average was 3.37. In 1929, the 45-year-old shortstop batted 3.70, and to prove that that was no fluke, the next season he hit 3.69. During his career, he played for the Macon Acmes, the Cuban X giants Philadelphia Giants, Columbus Buckeyes, New York Black Yankees, and other teams. Next player, Buck Leonard. Leonard played from 1934 to 1948. Comparable major leaguers would have been Jeff Bagwell or Lou Gehrig. Quote, I only wish i could have played in the big leagues when i was young young enough to show what i could do when an offer was given to me to join up i was too old and i knew it buck leonard leonard wasn't a big man <clears throat> 5'11", 185 pounds so while negro league fans like to compare him to lou gehrig physically he was probably more similar to a modern guy like jeff bagwell bagwell was regarded as an excellent fielder James compared his swing to a left-handed version of Henry Aaron, a quick, easy stroke that generated a lot of power. Page was the first Negro Leaguer inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1971, but Leonard was elected a following year later along with Gibson. Buck Leonard died in 1997 at age 90. Leonard didn't actually even join the Negro Leagues until he was 26. He worked as a mill hand, shoeshine boy, and then for the Atlantic Coast Line Railroad in North Carolina. He may not have even been quite Gehrig's equal at the plate, but like Gehrig, he was respected and a dignified player. In the Negro National League, first basemen are often clowns of the teams. They would make all kinds of contortions and grimaces, anything that would entertain the fan. Not Buck Leonard. He was strictly a baseball player. There was no need for him to act the clown. The left-handed power hitting first baseman combined with Josh Gibson to give the Homestead Grays one of the baseball's great home run tandems. Walter Buck Leonard helped Gibson power the Homestead Grays to nine pennants over a 16-year span. More than just a slugger, won three batting titles. In 1939 he enjoyed his best season as he led the Negro Leagues in hitting with a 417 batting average. Over a 17 year career with the Negro National League his lifetime stats show a 341 average in league play and a 382 average in exhibition games against big leaguers. Leonard was considered a gold glove quality first baseman able to range far to his right to steal base hits that were headed for the hole. Finding reliable statistics for Negro League contests played over 70 years ago can be an exercise in futility for a writer or a fan. When it comes to breaking down the reasoning behind Leonard's inclusion in the list, trust the highly respected Cumberland Posey, Leonard's former manager with the Homestead Grays. When it came to vote for the all-time All-American team for a national magazine, Posey voted Leonard as the starting first baseman for the Negro League Online Museum. Considering all the talented stars that passed through the Negro Leagues, Leonard's inclusion as the finest first baseman was ever telling. In light of that distinction, it's not surprising that Leonard was known by many as the Black Lou Gehrig, in homage, in homage, to the late great New York Yankee first baseman. Next player, Cool, cool Papa Bell. Years played: 1922 to 1946. Comparable major leaguers. Would be Ichiro Suzuki or Kenny Lofton. Quote, once he hit a line drive right past my ear, I turned around and saw the ball hit his ass sliding into second, said Satchel Page. He was a switch hitter with tremendous speed. You've also heard the one about him getting up to turn off the light and being back in bed before the light went out it was the legend. Bell certainly would have been a 3,000 hit guy in the majors, the easy comparison would be Ricky Henderson because of the stolen bases, but Bell lacked Henderson's power. He's listed at six feet, but just 155 pounds. So he's more envisioned like a player like Ichiro or Lofton. Baseball players are greater using the five-tools scale. When scouts look for the next rising star among high school and collegiate players, the ability to hit, hit for power, run, field, and throw are high highlighted and dissected among the front office members. Although sophisticated scouting and player development wasn't around when James "Cool Papa Bell played in the Negro Leagues, it's obvious that his speed attribute would have dazzled talent evaluators and created quite a buzz. A 337 career average and a 1974 Hall of Fame induction are far from fiction for the former speedster. Cool Papa Bell was so fast that that there's no doubt that Bell was one of the fastest men ever to play baseball. He was once clocked, circling all four bases in an astounding 12 seconds. I think he would have been also very similar to a Byron Buxton. Cool Papa Bell often went from first to third on bunts and scored from second on sacrifice flies. On at least three occasions, he stole two bases on a single pitch. A line drive hitter who was an inside-the-park home run threat any the ball got past an outfielder, Bell hit 316 over a 21-year career. He played for the St. Louis Stars, Pittsburgh Crawfords, Kansas City Monarchs, Chicago American Giants, and the Homestead Grays. Next player, Norman Stearns, nicknamed Turkey. He had six home run titles, 140-plus home runs, multiple 300 or better batting averages, and one of the best nicknames, Turkey, in sports history. Land Stearns on this list of greatest Negro stars without a big league service time. For Stearns, the lack of a major league at-bat, the lack of major league at-bats was about timing, not talent. His best years occurred in the 1920s, leaving him decades behind the trail blazed by Robinson into the majors. Years played for Stearns, 1920 to 1940. Comparable Major League player, Carl Yastrzemski. Quote, yes, he talked to his bats. Stearns often tended to think of his bats as living things, extensions of his own arms, and he would carry the best of them around in violin cases. He carried around different sized bats for different situations. After games, back at the hotel, teammates would often hear him, Hear him thanking his bats for delivering big hits or admonishing them for popping up. If I had used you, one teammate recalls him, saying to a bigger bat, I would have hit a home run. <clears throat> he was also known to threaten a bat that slumped with an axe. and thought to sleep with a bat that had been particularly good that day. It goes without saying, he also never let anyone else use his bats. Bill James ranked Stearns 25th on the all-time list, squeezed in between Frank Robinson and Ricky Henderson. Recent research indicates that Stearns hit the most home runs in Negro League history, not Mule Scuttles, Suttles, or Josh Gibson. There are also accounts that he played a great center field and that only cool Papa Bell may have been faster. James compared his power to Mel Ott and Willie Stargell. So now you have a guy with Stargell's power who played center field. Wow. Stearns himself said that Yastrzemski was the guy who reminded him of himself. Posnasky wrote in an essay that when the Hall of Fame started inducting a Negro Leaguer, that they started inducting Negro Leaguer players in 1971, Stearns Mm -hmm. believed that he'd get the call. Instead, from 1971 all the way through 1977, the Hall of Famers, Elected nine players. <clears throat> Page, Leonard, Gibson, Irvin, Bell, Judy Johnson, Charleston, Lloyd, and Martin DeHigo. And Stearns was passed up. Then from 78 to 95, the Hall of Fame elected only two Negro Leaguers: Rube Foster, an early pitcher and founder of the Negro League, and Ray Dandridge. Stearns died in 1979. And was finally elected to the hall in the year 2000. Next player, Smokey Joe Williams. According to a poll conducted in 1952, Smokey Joe Williams was voted the best pitcher in the history of the negro leagues. If that support isn't enough, consider the following career achievements by the former right-handed star and current member of the hall of fame. He once had 27 strikeouts in a 12 inning game. Anecdotes of dozens of no hitters in a victory over all time great Walter Johnson during a head to head exhibition game. Ty Cobb, who was not the most generous of men, of men, once said that Smokey Joe Williams would have been a sure 30 game winner if he had been allowed to pitch in the major leagues. Williams may have been the fastest pitcher of his time, regardless of league. Chicago Giants owner Frank Leland would boast. Quote, if you've ever seen the speed of a pebble thrown in a storm, you have not yet seen the speed equal to this wonderful giant from Texas, end quote. Before baseball integration, African-American all-star teams played major league teams and major league all-star teams often in exhibitions around the country. In 1912, while pitching against the McGraw's Giants, the National League champs, Williams crafted a 6-0 shutout. Three years later, against the pennant-winning Philadelphia Phillies, he outlasted Hall of Fame pitcher Grover Cleveland Alexander 1-0 with a three-hitter. Then, in 1917, Smokey Joe Williams is said to have no-hit the Giants and struck out 20, but lost on an error in another 1-0 loss. During his career, he played for the New York Lincoln Giants and the Homestead Grays. Oscar Rob, Oscar Charleston. Playing from thirty-two to thirty-six, Dizzy Dean averaged 30, uh, Dizzy Dean averaged twenty-four wins, three hundred six innings pitched, and one hundred ninety-four strikeouts per season. The Hall of Famer, Hall of Fame starter, owned one hundred and thirty. ERA plus. 1, 1.30 ERA plus during the five-year span, a mark slightly better than what the Seattle Mariners star Felix Hernandez posted during his career. Clearly, Dean could pitch, and undoubtedly pitch, pick out the best, most productive hitters among his contemporaries. Although Dean never had the opportunity to share the majors. With Negro League star Oscar Charleston, the star pitcher heaped praise upon one of the best hitters to ever live. Dizzy Dean said that Charleston could hit a ball a mile. He didn't have a weakness. With a 354 batting average for his career and a slugging percentage of .578, Charleston certainly didn't display a weakness for opposing pitchers to exploit during his 26-year career. Comparable major leaguers were Chris Speaker and Willie Mays. Years played 1915 to 1941. Charlie was a tremendous left-handed hitter who could also bunt, steal 100 bases a year, and cover center field as well as anyone before him or since. He was like Ty Cobb, Babe Ruth, and Tris Speaker rolled into one, said former Negro League player, manager, and scout Buck O'Neill. While active, Charleston was compared to Speaker for the way he played a shallow center field and ran everything down, but he was also compared to Ruth for his power. Undoubtedly, like Mays, he was a five-tool player. In James's historical abstract, he presents many quotes praising Charleston's abilities and suggests that he was equal of Cobb, or Speaker, or Ruth, or even better. James rated him fourth greatest player of all time between behind Ruth, Honus Wagner, and Mays. Many of his contemporaries cite Oscar Charleston as the greatest Negro player in history. At least one sports writer who saw both players in their prime said he would rate Charleston over over Willie Mays plus with great speed Charleston played a shallow center field because he was confident in his ability to race back and catch anything hit over his head he had so much lateral range that his two other outfielders outfielders playing alongside of him usually played right next to the foul lines a powerful hitter Oscar won at least four batting titles and several home run crowns. He is among the top five Negro League hitters in batting average, batting 339, as well as home runs, as well as all time leader in stolen bases. Negro League records are sketchy and incomplete, but writer analyst Bill James named Charleston the fourth greatest player of all time. Charleston, who was Also successful manager in the Negro Leagues was known as an astute judge of talent. When Brooklyn Dodgers general manager Branch Rickey wanted to break out, break the major league baseball color line, he hired Charleston as a scout. Charleston brought both Jackie Robinson and Roy Campanella to Rickey's attention. In his career, he played for the Indianapolis ABCs, the Lincoln Stars, Chicago American Giants, St. Louis Giants, Homestead Grays, Philadelphia Stars, Brooklyn Brown Dodgers, and other teams. Josh Gibson. Josh Gibson's death at the age of 35 in 1947 was tragic for two distinct reasons. Number one, the loss of life at such a young age, and the fact that it came three months before the integration of Major League Baseball. Gibson wasn't just a great Negro league slugger. He was one of the greatest hitters of all time. Known as a prolific slugger, Gibson owned records that looked like the work of fiction. A 354 batting average, 962 career homers over the course of a 17-season career with the Pittsburgh Crawfords and the Homestead Grays. Despite never having the opportunity to play big league baseball, Gibson excelled against big league pitchers during barnstorming tours that featured Negro League versus Major League battles. In those games... Gibson hit a staggering 412 solidifying his standing as a special hitter regardless of league. According to Monty Irvin, a veteran of both Negro League and Major League Baseball, Gibson was the best of the best. Comparable Major Leaguer, Johnny Bench. Years played 1930 to 1946 Hall of Fame Monty Irvin said, quote, I played with Willie Mays and against Hank Aaron. They were tremendous players, but they were no Josh Gibson. Gibson was Satchel Paige's battery mate for a time on the Pittsburgh Crawfords. Gibson's power was legendary and inspired many tall tales, some of them probably true. But researchers have not been able to verify whether he actually hit a home run completely out of the old Yankee Stadium in 1930. The tale says that he is the only player ever to do that. But they did unearth contemporary accounts of a 480 foot home run that Gibson hit when he was just 18 years old. Negro League's historian John Holloway lists Gibson third among all time players with at least 2,000 at bats, a 351 average, second in home runs with 223 to Mule Suttles 237. Although first in home runs slash at bats by a wide margin, Bill Veek called Gibson the best hitter he ever saw. He was a good defensive catcher with a strong arm. Unfortunately, Gibson also had many off field issues. His wife died giving birth to twins in 1930. Gibson suffered from health issues, including a brain tumor that put him in a a coma and a drinking problem. Many sports writers and big leaguers who played against Gibson believe he was the greatest all-around catcher ever. Gibson, who played for the Homestead Grays and the Pittsburgh Crawfords, was a superb defensive receiver. Hall of Fame pitcher Walter Johnson once said, he catches so easily. He might as well be in a rocking chair and he throws like a bullet. Gibson was also a power hitter with power hitter with few peers. Negro League and semi-pro box scorers credit him with 75 home runs in 1931 alone. Also, in 1934, he hit 69. During a 17-year season career, he batted .359 and topped 400 on three different occasions. His career slugging percentage was an eye-popping 648. Gibson was also considered a leader both on and off the field powerful Homestead Grays team that won 10 pennants during Gibson's career, which lasted from 30 to 45. Johnson said Gibson would have fetched $200,000 in an open market league, in the major league market. Sadly, Gibson never found out what he could have earned in the white major leagues. The catcher died of a brain hemorrhage at the age of 35 in 1947, only months before Jackie Robinson broke. The color line. Rube Foster. Every team Rube Foster played for was known as the Giants. He played for the Chicago Union Giants, the Cuban Giants, the Cuban X Giants, the Philadelphia Giants, the Chicago Leland Giants, and the Chicago American Giants. That was appropriate because he was a giant personality the most dominant figure in Negro League baseball for the first quarter of the 20th century. Foster didn't throw nearly as Foster didn't throw nearly as hard as Satchel Paige or Smokey Joe Williams, but he won just as often. He was a crafty pitcher who kept hitters off stride with the twisting fadeaway curveball, sorry, fadeaway screwball. He later passed on to the New York Giants ace Christy Mathewson. Foster joined the professional ranks in 1902 when he won 51 games, including 44 in a row, while pitching for the Cuban Giants. The following season, he topped that performance by going 54-1. Remember, this is in a single season. 54 wins. A shrewd business tactician, Foster assumed the role of pitcher-slash-manager for the Chicago-Leland Giants in 1907. He guided that team to a remarkable record of 110 wins and 10 losses. Let me restate that. 110 wins and 10 losses. Three years later, Foster's Giants won national fame by winning 123 games and losing only six. Let me restate that again. 123 games they won and lost only six games. This was in 1910. He offered to match his squad against any white major league club in a best-of-seven series for the, quote, true baseball championships of the world. No one even responded to his challenge. In 1920, Foster founded the Negro National League, which is widely regarded as baseball's first viable black major league. Rube Foster's inclusion on the list isn't solely about talent. While the former pitcher was once credited with 51 victories in a single season, a long-distinguished life in baseball is what landed Foster on the National Baseball Hall of Fame in 1981. As a pitcher, manager, executive, owner, founder, and officer, the best modern-day comparison of Rube Foster in baseball life would be names like Tony La Russa or Joe Torre. Monty Irvin. Monty Irvin put together some very serious s- statistics, but in a nine-year span playing for Newark from 1938 to 1948, his batting average was 358. That was his average over nine seasons, 358. So when they add these things up together, it's going to be quite interesting to see what it's going to look like with the uh, comparable stats in Major League Baseball, including the Negro Leagues. Once again, this is a bonus episode. My name is Dan. Thank you for listening.